Good afternoon, folks. It's that time again, 1 p.m. on Saturday. It's time for the Elephant in the Room here on WJAS 1320 AM and 99.1 FM Talk. This is your host, Sam DeMarco, joined here in studio today, our producer, Dazzling Daryl Grandy, our Calvin College of Executive Directors, John Stater, a man of very few words. And I want to tell you, folks, we have a great show lined up for you today. You know, typically in the past, you've heard us talk to a lot of candidates or uh, political figures, elected officials here in the area. But today we're going to talk about something a little bit different, but something that is very important to our area and our region, and that's energy. I'm joined in studio today by Nick Hayden. Nick is a good friend of mine I've known for 35 plus years, back to his days when he starred for the Nittany Lions before getting drafted by the Oakland Raiders and going on to play for the Philadelphia Eagles. Nick has been involved in the energy industry and specifically the Marcel sale play for the since at least 2009. Yeah, that's Nick. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here. And then we're also joined on the phone by Robin Rorick. Ro- Robin is the vice president of Midstream Policy at the American Petroleum Institute, and he is the leader behind Energy for Ecosystems, working to advance ongoing conservation efforts across the United States. Robin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. I'm, it's really great to be here with you. Well, it's great to have you because, listen, you know, as we look to try to take and promote economic growth here in the United States and in particular in our region, one of the things that's important is manufacturing, okay? We want to, we've discovered during the pandemic, you know, the problems that we had with our supply chain. And as we look to onshore this, we want to attract more manufacturers here. We want to attract them to our region, but one of the things is there's been this consistent attack by environmentalists, you know, on the oil and gas industry and the gas industry here in particular, because they promote it or try to promote it as being non-environmentally friendly. And that's why I wanted to have you here to be able to share some of the things that you're doing, which are in fact conserving the environment and are environmentally friendly. And I wanted our listeners to be able to be educated here and not just listen to one side you know, putting out these negative talking points. So I can't tell you how much we appreciate you having us or you joining us on the show. Could you tell us a little bit about some of your initiatives? Sure. I And, and you know, it's probably great to start, Sam, with the fact that most people don't know that we've got 500,000 miles of transmission pipeline throughout this country. And when I say transmission pipeline, that's for both oil and natural gas um, all over the country, bringing energy uh, from where it's produced to where it needs to go. And then when you add in, uh, gathering and distribution lines, and distribution lines are the ones that bring the natural gas directly to your home. If you're using uh, natural gas for stoves or heating, electric stoves or heating or water mm-hmm. heaters, or even the factories, you mentioned manufacturing, a lot of them are, are are producing their own power from natural gas as well. When you add in those distribution lines, it's 2.7 million miles of pipeline in this country, and even then, it's not enough. We're looking to build more, um, and and particularly for the transmission lines, those 500,000 miles that I've talked about. We have right-of-ways. People see right-of-ways all the time for electric utilities, and those are pretty noticeable because you see the power lines above you. Our pipelines are under the ground, Mm -hmm. um, but we still have right-of-ways. And uh, there's been this misperception in this country that healthy right-of-ways look like golf courses, you know, mowed grass, that sort of thing. (laughs) Um, The reality of it is they're not as healthy as a diverse community. And so what we're really trying to do is work with 
companies, with the states, and with other organizations throughout the country, at the, particularly at the state and local level, to really bring an education and awareness to what a healthy ecosystem looks like in these right-of-ways, and then work with companies to make sure that we're planting um, plants and supporting natural um, uh, species of plants and animals in these right-of-ways, increasing biodiversity, preventing erosion because these these plants have deeper-rooted systems. So it's kind of a win-win-win for everybody, um, and we're really excited about the, the path forward here. Well, we're excited about what you're doing here. And, you know, again, for our listeners, Robin, many folks, you know, they'll hear a buzzword, but they don't necessarily understand what it means. And when we talk about some of the things that Energy for Ecosystems is doing, you're, you're talking about things like vegetation management and habitat enhancement. You know, could you explain or go into a little bit of uh, explanation for our listeners so that they'll better understand what these words mean and how that impacts the right-of-ways that you're talking about? Yeah, and the easiest way to explain it is this is the same sort of thing that people do in their backyards every day, right? When you've got species of plants that you don't want and you have weeds, you want to get rid of them and you want to grow the things that you do want. Similarly, and all of the states are really focused on things like invasive plant species, trying to get the invasive plant species out, trying to get species of plants that are native to the area to grow. There's a lot of talk right now about pollinators, both the honeybees and the monarch butterfly, Mm -hmm. um, supporting milkweed, growing milkweed which is a plant that's throughout Pennsylvania, but trying to get more of that so we can support the monarch butterfly. Uh, The monarch's probably going to get listed as an endangered species here pretty soon, but our industry is well aware of that, and we want to support the the growth of that population, not get in the way, and pipeline right-of-ways can support all of that by planting more of those species. So it's really, if you think about it, it's working with these companies to go into their right-of-ways, and instead of just mowing them, it's really working with them to find an opportunity to use selective herbicides, to, to make sure that they're doing the planting, planting the things that we want, like milkweed, and then removing the things that we don't want, like chokeweed or some of these other things that, that create problems for folks. No, that, that is very interesting. Now, what are you finding the reception that you're getting from the companies in this industry as you go to them and look for them to partner in these types of projects and initiatives? So in a in a state like Pennsylvania, we're finding that they're actually very receptive. It's, uh, you know, for us above, first and foremost, it's about the integrity of our pipeline. In other words, making sure that we don't have any incidents on our pipeline. So mm-hmm. with, because of that, we can't really grow trees on our pipeline. We don't want the tree roots to create any problems. But it's but also and you and you all are, and your listeners are well aware of this. That area is extremely hilly, and in some areas, it can get pretty precarious and dangerous for the operators to maintain those right of way. So there are better ways to manage it, and and ultimately, our objective here is to create a right of way that grows native species, and you apply. selective herbicides, and the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation does this right now, but you're you're applying selective herbicides to keep the things out that you don't want, again, those invasive species, Mm -hmm. grow the things that you do want, those native species that we've been talking about, and then what you're doing over time, and when I say over time, three to four to five years, you're dialing back that herbicide because what you want is for that right away to naturally select. In other words, you want to grow those native species so that they outcompete the invasive species, and then it naturally takes care of itself. And it's a much safer, it's a much much more eco-friendly way to manage our right-of-ways, and it's better for the state of Pennsylvania and your listeners. Now, that that is a fascinating, fascinating story here. Now, you know, I've also, one of the things I realized is we actually have something sort of in our backyard here in this region. There's a project here. And that was developed in consultation with the Pheasants and Quail Forever 
conservation experts. That would be the Shale Midstream Montour Trail Project. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. And, and one of the things that our companies recognize is that we are really good at producing, moving, and uh, refining the products that we produce so that people have the energy that they expect every day, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, and our objective is to make sure that when folks pull into a gas station, they don't have to worry about not having gas there. Or when they turn on the light switch in their house or they turn up the heat, that they have affordable energy there as well. And so really what we recognize is that we need help and we need experts in this to help guide us as we do this. So Shell has decided to, to partner with Pheasants and Quail Forever because they do have wildlife biologists. They know what plants uh, are native to uh, the state of Pennsylvania, and they also know what plants to plant to support the birding populations that um, the hunters in your area like to hunt, as well as the deer population as well. And so they're able to work with Shell to guide them and use their expertise to help augment Shell's practices or their right-of-ways in a way that we can be certain that it's supportive of the native vegetation and the native animals in your area. So it's a great partnership. Pheasants Forever basically is providing the seed mixes and they're helping Shell figure out when they need to do work on the right-of-way. And they're also partnering with folks from Penn State University. And we've been talking to the folks in the state government of Pennsylvania. And we've been extremely pleased, Sam, at the amount of support that we've gotten from this. And and I have to be honest, I was concerned at first that people were, were going to be skeptical. And I think there are people that are a little bit skeptical. But as we've talked about the, the project, um, it's clear that everyone shares the same objectives. So we're, we're really excited about the partnerships that we're developing and about the work that's going to be done. Well, we're excited too. And I know for our listeners, this project that we're talking about, uh, the Shell Midstream, it's uh, down in Washington County. So Correct. it's just a few minutes south of here. If anyone would like to see it, they'd be able to visit it to, to see it firsthand, the remarkable things that are being done here. So, you know, I'm excited about this, Robin. And one of the things that's always, I don't want to say frustrated me, but, you know, I, I just can't seem to understand is why people are so resistant to pipelines when it's probably the safest way for us to, to transport, you know, our oil and gas here. You, you look at the recent accident they had in East Palestine, Ohio, although it wasn't oil and gas, but it just showed how that, you know, accidents can occur. And there were hazardous materials that were, were there as well. But it's, you know, you have folks that are resistant to pipelines, but our only alternative is to transport it by rail or truck, okay? And those are nowhere as safe as pipelines. I mean, how do you, what do you say to these people? How do you explain to the folks that are resistant to a pipeline coming through that it is indeed the safest way to transport oil and gas? Well, I think using the points that you just made, Sam, is is exactly what we're trying to do. But but look, I, I think we also need to have a bit of humility as an industry and recognize that we have, and, and in some cases, we're, we're a victim of our own success. I mean, think about it. We have 500,000 miles of transmission pipeline in this country, uh, and I've talked about that before. Most people don't even know that. And so it shouldn't surprise anyone in our industry that when we go talk to people, they don't, they're not even aware that there are thousands of miles of pipeline that run through the state of Pennsylvania now. And then we're talking about putting in a pipeline and people are saying, well, we don't have any pipelines in this state. Well, actually you have a lot and it operates safely every day and you just don't even know it. And that's good for us, but we haven't done necessarily a good enough job of, to, to be honest, of communicating with the public and and talking about that and listening to the public about what their concerns are. And this is, and Shell is a great leader in this space where they're now, what they're doing is they're going out into the community and they're 
there saying, hey, what's important to you? What what can we do to, to help us maintain this right away in a way that makes sense to you? And they're getting some great feedback from some of the local operators there who talk about the importance of pollen. It's, it's, it's really, it's not surprising to me, or it shouldn't be to even Shell for that matter, but it's, but there's a lot of awareness about the importance of pollinators in the state of Pennsylvania. And so now it's building that awareness and partnering with even the local communities to make sure that they're aware. So the Montour Trail is going to be great. You know, as you and your listeners know, it's a great area to, to hike and bike. And we, mm-hmm. we were there last week and we had to make sure that we we're looking over our shoulder because bikers were flying by. But it's it's going to be a great area and they're going to put some signage out there where they'll be able to They'll be able to talk about conservation and people will be able to learn a little bit. But I think you'll also be able to see, and when we were out there last week, they, we saw some of the uh, the milkweed species that they had planted out there. And I was chasing around a monarch butterfly trying to get a picture of it. So we're really excited about the opportunities to not not only improve the environment, but work with the community, make sure we're doing this in a way that they're comfortable, and then provide some education along the way. Well, that's awesome. I really do appreciate your efforts and that of API in this initiative. Now, now, Robin, folks, we're talking to Robin Work, Vice President uh, for Policy here, Midstream Policy, here at the American Petroleum Institute. For our listeners who don't know, do you want to tell them a little bit about the American Petroleum Institute and what you folks do, Robin? Yeah, so we're a, we're a, a, an organization in Washington, D.C., though we have state offices. We've got an office there in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, our objective is to work with the oil and gas industry on issues that are mutual concern throughout all of the uh, operators in our industry. And this is a great example of one where our operators want to make sure that we're elevating the game as far as our ability to effectively engage with the public to make sure that we're focused on conservation. And so that's what we are here to do is to try to help create an environment that provides an opportunity for partnerships, that provides an opportunity for companies to learn and grow from each other. And we're seeing that happening with right there in Pennsylvania on the Montour Trail, where it's a great meeting point for folks who are conservationists, folks who support the industry, folks who don't support the industry, to ensure that we are doing what we can to preserve the environment and provide an opportunity for the community to get engaged in what we're doing. So we're, we're really excited. Uh, we are as well. Now, Nick, I apologize for just getting you involved here, but you're a big outdoorsman. I know you're a sportsman, you're a hunter, a big dunk hunter, and things like that. What does it mean to folks like you when the industry that you're involved in is, is, is working to try to take in and provide these conservation efforts? Well, I, I mean, I, I think it's a home run. And I mean, you know, I'm not going to speak for the, uh, you know, million uh, hunters in this Commonwealth, but I probably share the same sentiment as they do. I mean, when you're, the trench is temporary and the pipeline that's installed by our skilled union labor folks is temporary. Then the trench is sealed. The uh, restoration that Robin talked about is permanent. And what does that do? That fosters the habitat for not only consumptive species, but non-consumptive species, as he spoke of with respect to the butterfly. And uh, the other thing, and this is a real this is a real bonus with respect to pipeline, it creates natural egress for animals to traverse. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, you know, from from forested area to forested area, they and, and wildlife takes the path of least resistance most often. And a pipeline right away is a natural highway, if you will. No, that, I, I had never thought about it that way, but, but it, makes, it makes complete sense, right? So uh, I appreciate that the sportsmen appreciate what the industry is trying to do, you know, to restore, you know, any 
potential disruption, you know, to the ecosystem here in, in the Commonwealth. And I think that folks need to hear more of this so that they understand that what you have here is while we are taking and utilizing, you know, our natural resources, you know, we're, we're also not just, uh, or I should say we're doing it responsibly, okay? And we're trying to return the ecosystem to as pristine an environment as we found it, you know, when we initially disturbed it. Yeah, and, and and to Robin's point, I mean, you know, we have we have uh, we have an org- we have a, a state agency called the Pennsylvania Game Commission, and they manage a million acres, okay, mm-hmm. and that's public hunting. And some operators do have leases with the Pennsylvania Game Commission, and the Pennsylvania Game Commission gets a very nice royalties, gets monthly royalties as a result of gas production. But more often than not, the operators are working with that agency to do exactly what Robin described. And it's done at the local level. It's done, uh, you know, regionally with respect to the individual game land. And, you know, operators are more than happy to uh, to partner with Game Commission and, and DCNR, our forest agency, you know, to do these type of things. Because at the end of the day, it's a win-win-win for everybody. Well, and when we talk about being a win-win for everybody... I think a lot of folks don't realize something that you told me a long time ago. You know, they say in politics things, it's always about, what have you done for me lately? Okay. But when the Marcella Shell came here, I mean, you talked about the impact it had on energy prices for many of our low-income residents, right? How their energy bills went down significantly. You want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, if you you look at it, I mean, high energy prices, when when, when energy goes up in price, the people who suffer the most are the ones who are on fixed income, or, or on some type of government assistance. They feel the pinch the hardest. The wealthy family uh, living in a, in a huge home in a suburb does not feel the pain nearly as much as those who are on fixed income. And let's face facts. We have a ton of seniors in Allegheny County who are on fixed income, okay? And, and when energy prices go up, that affects their lifestyle dramatically. Right, and well, in Allegheny County, 19.7% of our population is uh, 65 or older. So you're talking about about 225,000 people, you know, that are of age to be on Social Security or fixed incomes, as you were describing. And, and this is important. When we talk about many of our seniors struggling on whether to pay for medication or to eat, why are we trying to take and raise their energy prices, you know, at the same time to compete with those other two uh, those two other two priorities? Yeah, it's, 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 it's really, um, you know, I mean, we have the ability to provide steady, consistent low price energy in this nation uh, with respect to our natural gas industry and specifically here in Pennsylvania. And, you know, we're never going to reach our peak uh, as a state if we don't have the proper policies in place. And those are our elected officials. And, you know, we as citizens in this Commonwealth have to just, you know, we have to take a hard look when we go and, and cast ballots. I mean, you know, everybody wants affordable energy. It's not you deserve it or they don't deserve it. Everybody wants it, and everyone should be entitled to that. Well, and and when we talk about this, you know, when we're harvesting our natural resources, we're doing it, you know, when you talk about projects like that uh, Robin's describing, you know, in an environmentally friendly way, okay? So, you know, it's important for folks to understand that you can do both. You can take and have safe transportation of energy through pipelines. You can take and utilize energy with a minimal of disturbance or disruption to the environment, you can take and work together to take and repair, you know, any uh, disruption to that environment, you know, through projects like what uh, Shell's doing to 
together with uh, Energy for Ecosystems. So there's a lot of things here that allow us to do this responsibly. And I don't understand the resistance to any type of uh, energy production here, especially when you look at the disruption that takes place with uh, wind farms, yeah. you know, and, now, solar, and solar farms. You know, I, I, I hate to even say this, but, you know, um, we do have wind farms in our state, okay? And I'm not knocking the renewable industry, but the reality is, is this. If a wind developer, owner, operator is going to put in a farm, our Pennsylvania Game Commission in conjunction with uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, issue, issue, take permits. And those take permits are issued for raptors and birds of prey because that's inevitable. It's going to happen. You know, it's it's inevitable that a raptor is going to fly into a blade and it's going to be killed. And, you know, pre-issuing take permits is part of the renewable industry. Whether we accept it or not, it's part of it. But you see, the environments always leave that out when they push the renewables. And, and that's why I think it's important for folks to have the full understanding. That's why I so appreciate Robin coming on the show today to talk about some of this. Because folks need to understand so that they can make an informed and intelligent decision about how best to proceed, how to take and push for the policies, as you described, with their elected officials that would provide for the low cost, but yet efficient and effective energy. In you know, I mean, I mean I've, I've learned something here being involved in the uh, shale play here in the Commonwealth. You know, and yes, there's pros and cons on either side. But the reality is this. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but they're not entitled to their own facts. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Now, Robin, we just talked about these two projects, these things that you guys are doing. What else would you like our listeners to know about what either API or the initiative that you're leading is doing? Energy for Ecosystems. Yeah, I actually think the conversation that you and Nick just had is spot on. And I think opposition groups oftentimes want to kind of want to present the industry as either you're for oil and gas or and, and that's a bad thing, or you're for the environment and that's a good thing. And and you hit the nail on the head when you said it's not a it's really you can do both. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And and that's what our industry is about. Mm -hmm. And it's a more complicated discussion. And I think oftentimes the opposition doesn't want to have that discussion because what we're demonstrating is that you can do oil and gas in an environmentally responsible way. It can be here for a long time in a sustainable way. And that undercuts their message of all oil and gas is bad. And so this is a great opportunity. And, and we've talked to a lot of folks who are anti-oil and gas. And we, and we said, look, if you want to come put, poke holes in this effort, come try to poke holes in this effort. And, and it's been really hard for them to do because when, we, when they've thrown out things of, well, have you considered this and have you considered that? And if, and if we haven't, then we'll say, no, but you know what? Let's build that into the conservation plan because we can do it. Now, there are certain things, as I said before, that we're not going to consider. We're not going to consider growing trees on our right-of-way. Right. First, first and foremost, the regulations don't allow it, so we want to make sure that we're compliant. But more, most importantly, that would threaten the integrity of our pipeline. So we don't want to do that. But there are other things that we can do. And I think we're doing our environment and the country a disservice if we treat this as a black and white issue and we say, well, you know what, we're not going to we're not going to improve the environment at all just because we shouldn't have oil and gas. I think that's a silly argument. I really do. I think it's a, how can we make sure that the industry is doing everything they can to operate sustainably and responsibly? And this is a great step forward. And, and I would welcome engagement from any party and any individual to help us make this even better. And so Shell has been fantastic in this space and listening to the community and 
listening to folks in, in conservation and game and other parts of the Pennsylvania state government. So it's been really exciting to see happen. I sound like a broken record there, but I mean, I've been in this industry for 25 plus years and the industry is incredibly receptive. And we're looking at doing similar programs in Minnesota and Michigan and Oklahoma and Texas and Louisiana, all over the country at this point. So it's, you're going to see much more of this. And it wouldn't surprise me, Sam, if people actually started pushing back a little bit more and started accusing us of greenwashing and stuff like that, because ultimately what we're doing is we're undercutting their argument that oil and gas is bad. Well, I, I can tell you firsthand that it's not bad. In Allegheny County, Robin, we have a new airport being built. It's a new terminal, $1.4 billion. It's being built without a single dime of county taxpayer money, you know, because drilling that's taking place on the airport property is helping pay for that new airport. We have over 12,000 acres of parks here in Allegheny County. We have made dramatic improvements to them over the last nine years, and a lot of that has been from the benefits that we had from drilling underneath, not in the park, but underneath. So there's a lot of great things happening here, specifically because, you know, we've embraced, you know, the fracking and the drilling for gas here. Now, folks, we're going to have to take a break. We'll be back in a minute, but I'm joined here on The Elephant in the Room by Nick Hayden and Robin Rourke from the American Petroleum Institute. We'll be right back after the break. Folks, welcome back to the Alpin in the Room, WJAS 1320 AM, 99.1 FM Talk. I'm joined here in studio by Nick Hayden, and I'm joined on to the telephone by Robin Rourke, Vice President for Midstream Policy at the American Petroleum Institute. In the first segment, we were talking about some of the initiatives that Robin is leading down there, working together with, a, with Shell here in Western Pennsylvania, and in particular Washington County. And uh, we were just talking right before the break I was explaining how some of these things affected us here in Allegheny County, and that being use of energy by helping to pay the debt service on the new $1.4 billion airport terminal, the Greater Pittsburgh International Airport, as well as all the improvements we've made in the county parks the last nine years. And Nick, you wanted to bring something up. You had a specific point about access. Yeah. You want to talk yeah, about. I mean, I mean, you know, the reality is the county has benefited from lease payments and royalty payments uh, with respect to uh, – Extract gas extraction a mile and a half below the surface of, 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 a, of a county park, okay? And those revenues that the county gets goes to improve the access to these park systems, okay? So think about it. If you're physically challenged, if you're older, if you're in a wheelchair and you need access, this is the type of, this is the type of improvements that are being done, okay? Uh, and, and just simply to go out, and, and watch birds or, or, or you know, uh, watch butterflies in a county park, okay? Access is relevant. And that's what, that's what the gas industry has been able to provide with respect to their royalty payments and their lease payments. No, that's a great point. You know, again, folks, they lose sight of this, okay? Folks care. I can tell you firsthand, people care about their parks. You know, they want access to the parks for them and their families. But you know, don't give a second thought as to how some of the improvements that are being made in the parks are being paid for. And that's one of the reasons why we're able to do this. You know, and noteworthy here, Robin, for Allegheny County, you may not know this, but, you know, we've gone the last 21 of 22 years without a real estate tax increase here. You know, I've been in office as the council member at large here in Allegheny County for eight years and not had a single tax increase, you know, from a real estate tax perspective that entire time. 
So we've been able to pay for these things, these improvements that are ongoing in all the parks, as well as things at the airport, through the use of uh, uh, drilling for natural gas. And that's why, you know, again, I, you know, I look at what a blessing it is in many ways to this region. And it's just, it's frustrating to see, you know, folks who are absolutely opposed to it, but don't have a better answer, you know, always pushing back. Yeah. And, you know, Nick brought up a great point in the first segment too, that's worth, that's worth highlighting as well, which is um, it, you just highlighted the benefits at a local level and, and, and how the folks in Allegheny County have benefited either directly or indirectly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, if you look at what's happening globally now and, and through this war in the Ukraine where Russia is really kind of threatening to turn the spigot down on the Europeans, well, uh, well you know what's, what's creating a challenge for that whole dynamic is the fact that U.S. natural gas, of which the Marcellus Shale is a significant component of that, and arguably one of the most significant components of the U.S. natural gas market is is providing that pressure that makes it much more much harder for Putin and other bad actors across the country to hold other countries hostage uh, through the from the energy that they produce because we're producing U.S. natural gas. It's global energy security in addition to U.S. energy security, in addition to revenue and and benefits to Allegheny County. So, I mean, it's it's absolutely worthwhile to point out the benefits locally, but we can't overlook also the benefits that are happening globally as well. No, absolutely. You talk about the geopolitical situation, and you know why aren't we taking and uh producing more natural gas. And this gets into the point, why don't we have a pipeline from Pennsylvania to New York? You know, why is New York not taking advantage of the low-cost natural gas we have and they're burning heating oil? If they're concerned about the environment, you know, and carbon emissions, why are they not taking advantage uh, of, of what we could provide? In addition, you know, uh, the Marsalis shell industry has been a godsend to many of the rural areas here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania providing them jobs, revenue, uh, income. I mean, Nick, you know, <clears throat> firsthand, the amount of companies that have sprung up to support that industry. Oh, I mean, sure. just too numerous to mention. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I mean, everyone thinks of the gas industry as just simply, you know, the, uh, the, uh, uh, you know the, the operator who works in the upstream who's out there sinking wells. Well, you know, the, the truth of the matter is the supply chain, uh, all the service companies, uh, that are now Pennsylvania owned and operated are the ones that really, you know, get it done, if you will. I mean, those guys can't sink wells without a, uh, with, without a robust Pennsylvania supply chain who are uh, of, made up of, of our hard workers working at the well pad, working at the, uh, at the bit, uh, moving materials back and forth. Uh, with with truck drivers and and uh, you know and and skilled labor uh, running dozers and 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 backhoes, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it doesn't work without a robust supply chain. No, and I remember, you know, back before Marcel Shell came about, that you know you would drive through some of these rural areas, and there were people concerned about their farms and how they would take and pay for them. Okay, uh, you know, manufacturing died. You know, after NAFTA in many of these areas, and in the sole or the largest employers in these towns left, and now after the Marcellus Shale, you drive through and you see brand new Ford pickups sitting in driveways. You see freshly painted barns. You know all these different things. It really has provided an economic lifeline, and it helped this region, you know, uh, survive 
you know, the Great Recession they had, the 2008, you know, crash in many ways. Oh, no, Sam, you're right. I mean, you know, I mean, we, you know, we, <laughs> we got to get out of our own little box and go out and see our state and go look and see what's going on with respect uh, to this gas industry and how and what a huge economic impact it's had and all levels. I mean, you know, we're lucky here in Pennsylvania. We have what's called an impact fee. I mean, we're lucky. Other states go, uh, you know, have a tax and the tax goes into a general fund and where it ends up is anybody's guess. Okay. And with our impact fee, that money goes into the areas where extraction is taking place Okay, and, and that, those monies improve, improve roads, the local roads that our state can't fund, okay? It, it helps with, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, habitat improvement, um, you know, growing greener initiatives, which, be, which has been in, in Pennsylvania since uh, uh, Tom Ridge was governor, and that's where this money goes. And, and, and beyond that, you know, we have a legacy fund, uh, from from the uh, impact fee, and and that's an ongoing fund where where you know uh, water uh, municipal water companies can apply for grants to improve infrastructure, um, and 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 again, I mean you know I I, I just recall seeing uh, a swimming pool applied for a grant in some municipal you know some municipality in eastern Pennsylvania because their pool had cracked. And the cost was $10,000. They applied for a grant and got the money and fixed the pool so the kids could take a swim in the summer. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Robin, we were just talking about the benefits to Allegheny County locally, and you talked about the benefits from a geopolitical perspective. What type of policies do you believe would be the most effective for us here, not just in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, but nationally, to embrace that could unleash the energy industry as a whole and you know, benefit the entire country. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a great question, Sam. I think we have to look at it at a couple levels. First and foremost, is probably at the state level, mm -hmm. uh, and and we need policies that allow the industry to do what it's what it what it's really good at, which is, as Nick pointed out, finding and pr producing this energy, then building the infrastructure to move the energy. You don't have to look far outside of the state of Pennsylvania to see what happens by denying for, uh, access to the reliable energy. I mean, it, I mean, Governor Cuomo. If years ago denied the development of a of a pipeline called Constitution Pipeline, which would have taken Marcellus gas from the state of Pennsylvania and transported it up to New England, where they regularly pay in the wintertime twice as much for their energy costs. I mean, think about that. I mean, you're, you're talking about people who live in an area where it gets naturally extremely cold in the wintertime, and you're, and you're forcing them to pay twice as much in energy costs because you can't get a pipeline built. So I think that there are local policies that we can look uh, to, to improve. At a national level, um, there's a heavy, heavy focus right now on permitting reform. And our permitting system today is so complicated and so convoluted and so subjective that it's impossible to get anything built these days. And think about it, and Nick touched on this earlier, we've really evolved as a country 
country away from this concept of, you know, in the old days, it was all about the oil patch, right? And that's the Gulf Coast, Texas and Louisiana. We, ha- we still produce oil and natural gas out of Texas and Louisiana, but now we're also producing oil out of North Dakota and, and, the, and the lower part of Canada. We're producing natural gas throughout the Marcellus Shale. We're also looking to produce more in Colorado. So there's an oil patch, but now the United States is, is in an energy renaissance that we've been going through since around 2008 right now. So we need the policies that unlock all of that, that activity at the federal and at the state level. No, that's, you know, I, I'm always interested in looking at what policies that we can advocate, you know, here at the county level, you know, and push for our state legislators to embrace at the state level. Because, again, Nick had just mentioned something earlier. He said, we need to get out of the box, okay? And where I thought you were going with that was we need to get out of our own way. And that, you know, the only thing holding us back from being able to really produce your know, low-cost energy to be able to create prosperity and wealth, to be able to provide millions of jobs, is ourselves. Sam, you're, Sam you're right. I mean, you know, Robin's touched about it. We all know who are, who are, around, this game, who are around this industry. I mean, you know, for, for Pennsylvanians, and I think this is critical, and, and, yeah, it's wonderful that we're able to help European allies with uh, liquefied natural gas that comes from Pennsylvania and gets exported uh, via the Gulf of Mexico, if you will, or Cove Point down in Maryland. But the truth of the matter is long-term economic upside for this Commonwealth is not where the gas is drilled. It's where it's used. It's where it's used. And that would be low-cost energy for for manufacturing, low-cost energy for these big, gigantic data centers uh, you know, that Amazon needs and, and, and other high-tech uh, uh, industry needs, um, you know, that, the, that, cis, that consistent, low-price, steady, eddy feed of energy that allows those companies to grow and put a flag in Pennsylvania and say, this is where I'm setting up my shop. Robin, uh, again, I was talking about the airport here. But something else, and I don't know if you know, because I don't know that we've done as great a job as advertising as we could. But for our listeners, one of the things that we've done at the Allegheny, uh, or excuse me, the Greater Pittsburgh International Airport, is we've used the gas that we drill for to take and fuel what we call a microgrid, which is a mini power plant. So the airport, for all intents and purposes, is off the grid. So we have a power plant, a microgrid out there that's fueled by natural gas, and we have solar, about 10,000 solar panels out there as well. But it provides both electricity, heat, and cooling for the airport. But in addition to that, we have taken about 3,500 unused acres that are out there on the airport property and tried to convert them to office space through a project called Neighborhood 91. So Neighborhood 91, the intent was to work with our university partners and to try to make this a additive manufacturing epicenter for the Northeast. You know, uh, one of the first uh, folks to sign on was a company called Aaron Bencia. And those folks are, fo- I mean, their main core project is around uh, argon gas, which is a byproduct of here, you know, when the drilling. Um, and uh, Wabtec was one of the first tenants out there with a great big 3D printer in which they're printing, you know, rail parts, things like that. Hard to use parts, hard to find parts, parts no longer in stock or inventory, you know, that are needed anywhere in the world. And being on the airport property, they have the ability to access our 
cargo to be able to get this stuff to anywhere around the world in like hours. Okay. But the, the, the great part about this is the office space that we're providing, the microgrid being fueled by the natural gas and solar panels is also providing the electricity, the heating and the cooling for these office space. So as we look to try to attract, you know, new businesses, new industries to come here, you know, high tech manufacturing, we're able to offer almost below market, you know, rates because we're using the low cost energy, you know, at the airport to be able to do so. And, and I mean, if you look at that, that's just a small, like a snow globe picture of what we could do from a, as a region if we just used the natural gas and the energy that's available to us in the right way. It's a great point. And I think one of the things that people often misunderstand about the oil and gas industry is that somehow the oil and gas industry is anti-renewable energy industry. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And I think that you could talk to Nick and just about anybody in the oil and gas industry, and they would tell you, you know, we're supportive of an all of the above approach. Mm -hmm. But we also recognize that oil and gas provides that baseload that people are going to need. So when the sun doesn't shine, you still have natural gas and you still have energy. It's not an either or, again, it's a both and. And we need to be practical about how we approach this. And it's great to hear that Allegheny County and Pennsylvania writ large is, is kind of taking that policy. But we need to establish, you asked earlier about policies, we need to make sure that we're establishing policies that allow the market to do its job. And if we start establishing policies that kind of puts their finger on the scale and says, well, we're going to start to push renewables, then you're going to end up in a situation like Germany, where now all of a sudden they've got to pay a lot more for energy because they weren't planning on Russia making the gas much more expensive, or all of the challenges that Californians have. So it's you know, I, I think it's great to hear you and Nick talking about all of the efforts that you all are undertaking to make sure that your listeners understand what a rational approach at energy policy looks like for the folks in Pennsylvania. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've found being involved in politics here is just that uh, so many folks, because they're busy raising their families and they're busy working and, you know, all these other things, they're not aware of all of this. So, you know, I appreciate you recognizing that Nick and I are here are just trying to educate the folks and add, you know, to this so that they're able to make responsible decisions. Nick, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I mean, Robin, you 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 really you really struck a chord when you talked about uh, you know your organization's position on all of the above, uh, and and this is a little known fact. Okay, our shale industry in aggregate. Okay, I have no idea how many thousands of solar panels that they use, but the truth is. At every single well pad in our Commonwealth, you will see a small solar array, okay? And that solar array provides the electricity with battery backup for their instrumentation on those wellheads and on that pad. And that is crucial. And, and you know, I giggle because I don't understand why the, why the gas industry isn't saying this. You know, if you look at it, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how much power is generated, but, you know... They're clearly inclusive. Well, I think the government's the problem. As I said, we need to get out of our own way. You know, and, uh, you know, Robbins has described, anytime the government interferes in the market, you know, and pushes these subsidies in one way or another, you know, they're, they're distorting it. And, uh, I mean, we've just seen, if you look at the uh, Biden bill, you know, the, they call the Inflation Reduction Act with like 375 to $400 billion of money dedicated or allocated for green projects. You just saw Proterra. You know, one of the large electric car and electric bus manufacturers 
declare bankruptcy the other day. Okay, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer in the free market. You know, I'm a b big believer in take, not providing subsidies for any of these things. You know, we can help with research and development grants and things of that nature, but let the market take its course. You know, government gets in the way, they interfere, and they distorts everything, which causes us a lot of problems, many of which we're experiencing today. Yeah, I, I, I have a simple way to look at this, like, right? So, so you know, the, uh, the free market is competition, right? Mm -hmm. And I always liken it to a track race, right? So if you're running a 100-yard dash, you're running a 100-yard dash for time, and you're competing against one or two or three others. But somehow, some way, the government puts these policies in place where two or three of the competitive runners are going to run 80 yards to the finish line instead of the full 100. Yeah, it's, uh, I, again, you just, uh, I look at all the challenges that we face today and just believe that if we just focused on the challenges themselves, we could address a lot of them. But no, again, it's, we get it in our own way, you know, by interfering. So Robin, what else would you like our listeners to know about the energy industry here in Pennsylvania or about the American Petroleum Institute and what you guys are doing? Because I can't thank you enough for appearing on the show. Yeah, you know, I think I would just highlight a point that we've been talking about. And if I had to sum up our whole conversation is that I would encourage your listeners to really look at our industry, not as a one of either or. It's really both and. Mm -hmm. And we can do and we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I mean, we can we can produce affordable, reliable energy and protect the environment at the same time. We can support renewable the renewable energy industry while at the same time growing our oil and natural gas industry as well. Ultimately, the true benefactor of all of this are the people of Allegheny County and the people and your listeners. I mean, that's that's who truly benefits from rational policies like this. So I, I, I just really appreciate the opportunity to hear you and Nick, and I very much appreciate the rational thinking that you're bringing to the conversation as well. Well, we appreciate you joining us. Now, if someone wanted to learn more about API, what's the website address there? Where would they go to learn more about your organization? It's pretty straightforward. It's just api.org. API.org. You hear it, folks. You want to learn more about Robin, the projects that they're doing, or API in particular? You go to www.api.org. Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. And listen, welcome back anytime. Thanks. I look forward to being back soon. Take care. You got to have a great day. So, Nick, we just heard from Robin. This is just an example of what the industry is doing to try to take and, you know, provide low-cost energy for our folks. And, and what people don't understand, it's like, or so many don't seem to understand, is money that you don't have to spend on energy will get spent somewhere else. So it has another effect, multiplier effect, on our economy. Sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, unfortunately, we we don't all, we don't all live as, as, as you know with with unlimited budgets. You mm -hmm. know, I can tell you one thing: I didn't win that ticket uh, or win that lottery for a billion and a half the other day. Well, that, that's two of us. I mean, I was, you know, I, you know, you wonder. We all, I think, many folks have those uh, Powerball or Mega Millions fantasies about what they would do if they won that money. I can tell you, I had a lot of it spent. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately, it just never came through. Yeah, somebody down in Neptune Beach got my ticket. Yeah, I mean, no, but and and I think that's true. I mean, you know, we've got to be mindful of, of our energy consumption, and we got to realize the cost that it has on our households. 
And, you know, every dime and every penny that we have to allocate to higher, higher cost fuel is taken away from other things that we want in our lives. And this is why our policy has to be on point. And we have to look at those folks who are on the fixed incomes and, and you know, living on some type of government, sub, government subsidy. I mean, those are the ones who feel it the most. Well, and that's why in all of the above strategy has always been the best answer to this problem, okay? You know, nuclear, fossil fuels, renewables, you have to look at all of them and you have to apply them in the right most cost-effective way, you know, and many folks don't know that, yeah, you have a renewable plant, but you also have to have a fossil fuel plant there because it, the sun doesn't always shine. Oh, sure. the wind doesn't always blow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I want to say in June, there was a, a coal-fired power plant that went down in Indiana County. I think it was called Homer City, if, I, if it doesn't, you know, if mm -hmm. my memory serves me correctly. So that was completely out of our supply mix. And, you know, Firstly, I felt terrible and still do for all of the tr uh, union trade guys that worked at that plant. Okay, I I mean that that was a real smack in the teeth for those folks, and I, I really my heart goes out to them. But the fact of the matter is, and you know, so let's just say that that plant could produce a gigawatt of power. You know, if you do the math, okay, to do or to compensate or to fill that void of that base load coming out of the grid, you would need to have to install six gigawatts of renewable, okay? So think about the land disturbance that you're going to have to go through to put in a wind farm or a, or, or, or a solar farm. And, and it goes back to my point. I mean, I, I, I'm not here to roll the renewable industry under the bus. That's not my intent, and I don't think that's anyone's intent. In fact, Robin said so. It's all the above. Mm -hmm. But those are the facts that we have to consider. When these baseload power plants come offline and our, our alternative is renewable, this is what we run into. And this is a these are policy decisions that we have to address, and we need elected officials that have the courage to look at the hard things. I can tell you, I, I mean, I've always joked that Mensa, you know, is not beating down the door to many of the elected officials, you know, <laughs> council offices or, or state legislator offices, okay? But yet these are the people making these decisions, okay? And, and, and they're not able, for whatever reason, to seem to be able to connect the dots. And that's incredibly frustrating. So Nick, I want to thank you for joining us on the show, and we're going to have you back. I want to hear some good stories from the playing days there, right? Uh, yeah. No, but hey, no stories about yeah. me, okay? <laughs> yeah. We might have to, Daryl, you might have to do a few edits if we get down to the nitty-gritty. <laughs> yeah, we'll compete with Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, yeah. Football and podcast yeah. there, right? Yeah. Hey, we can, guys, we could be on to something here, yeah. you know? You know, I can't thank you enough for having me, Sam. I, I just appreciate what you do. I know the sacrifice that, that you've made, not only for this party, but for so many Pennsylvanians that don't live in this county. And I want to thank you for your leadership and your courage. Keep doing the right thing. Well, Nick, I, I, listen, I certainly appreciate it, but it's, it's not just me. Couldn't do it without the work of folks like John Schneider, my entire executive team, and all of the folks that are members of the committee here. And again, all we're trying to do is leave Allegheny County a little bit better than we found it. That's a great attitude for a legacy. So folks, listen, thank you for joining us this weekend on The Elephant in the Room. Signing off, this is your host, Sam DeMarco. Until next week, where you join us again on WJAS 1320 AM, 99.1 FM Talk.